Father, this morning, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your availability to us, Lord, that when we call on you, you're there. And when we meet as your church and as your people, God, you meet us here. I pray that, God, the words that were sung and the songs that we brought to you this morning were just glorifying to you. And I pray that as we hear your message this morning, as we hear the word that you have for us, God, that you would just continue to work on our hearts. God, stir revival in us and let us be satisfied in you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. So as I shared with you last week, I was driving in 1980, and it was late in the morning, and I was somewhere between Lakey, Texas and Junction going back up to San Angelo, and I was trying to stay awake, and I was fighting it, and I was trying to find something to listen to on the radio, and the only station that I could really tune in, it was just for just a moment I could get it, was a preacher. I don't know who this preacher was. I don't know where he was preaching at. He had great passion. He was, he was really, uh, you know, just wound up. And he, if he said it once, he said it a hundred times. And just that brief opportunity I had to hear what he had to say. And he said, read the red and pray for the power. Read the red and pray for the power. Read the red. I was hearing that and I couldn't quite make out what exactly that meant. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me. He's talking about the red words of Christ. Read the red and pray for the power. Now that was 40 some odd years ago. And that's one of the things, there are several things that I think about from time to time that the Lord allowed me to experience that really impacted me. But it has been... Uh, one of the probably the best things I've ever done in reading the scripture and getting to know our father, being drawn by his spirit and getting to understand a little clearer who Jesus is, what he said and what he did, who Jesus is, what he said and what he did and how important that is. And the way that we get to the place where we, we begin to, you know, uh, understand more what who Jesus is, what he said, and what he did, and what it means to us today is by looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and studying the red words. Read the red words and pray for the power. Now there's a few couple, there's a few verses in Acts that are the speaking words of Jesus. And there's uh, several verses in the book of Revelation, of course. So you can look at those in Acts and talking about the the salvation of Paul. You can look at what the Lord Jesus had to say about his second coming and how all that is going to transpire. But obviously, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just soak it up. Just soak in it. Just, just feast on it. Read the red words and then pray for the power of it. So just simply read those words. And if, if you need to, write it down. Just what is this red word saying? What are the words of Jesus revealing to me? What does it say? And then pray for the power of understanding, pray for the power of believing in it, pray for the power of being able to live it out and see what the Lord does with you in that situation. So we're in John chapter 11 for a couple of weeks here, looking at the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. 
Lazarus is one of Jesus' friends. He lives in Bethany with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and Jesus spent a lot of time in Bethany with them. He, when he would go and come and walk from Jericho up to Jerusalem, he would often spend the night with um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and it was a, a safe haven for him. It got him out of Jerusalem. It was about two miles away from the old city of Jerusalem. And it gave him an opportunity to rest and to recoup and get away from the crowds. And so last week we saw that Lazarus is dead, news gets to Jesus, and, and Jesus did not respond immediately. Jesus said that his illness would not lead in death, it's for the glory of God. And then we see him postponing going, and, and he, he waits a couple days before he leaves to travel to Bethany. And the disciples, when Jesus says, let's go, the disciples, they're concerned about going back close to Jerusalem. He says, we can't go there. They're going to get us this time. You know, it's unsafe for us to go. And Jesus talked about there's 12 hours of daylight. He talked about opportunity. He talked about with me, you are in the light. You will not stumble. And so um, he lays out there for them after they after he used the word sleep instead of death. Because from Jesus' perspective, Lazarus' death was just sleep from his perspective. But of course, the disciples heard that and they thought, well, here's why we're not going to go. They said, you know, Lord, if, if he's just asleep, he's going to wake up and he's going to be okay. And Jesus finally understood what was going on. He spoke clearly to them, the scripture says. And he says, no, Lazarus is dead. He has died. And it's for your good, it's for your sake that I was not there, so you'll get to see the glory of God. So we pick it up now in verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. True their personality again, isn't it? Martha's a doer, Mary's a worshiper. We saw that when Jesus was there, Martha spent all her time in the kitchen getting everything ready, and Mary just, just kneeled at his feet and just worshiped him. And Martha, she was getting everything prepared. She says, man, you know, get that gal in here and help me get all this ready. And, and Jesus said to her at that particular occasion, he says, Martha, you are worried about many things, but Mary has found the best thing. And so Mary stays in the house. Martha runs to him. Now, it's interesting when you read people that have talked about this and commentaries and such. Uh, I, I read a few pieces of material that said that they believe that Martha had shaky faith, that her faith was, was not on solid ground. And for the life of me, I don't understand how they get there. Because when I read these verses, I see her having the kind of faith that we ought to inspire after. Aspire after. I mean, this is, this is good faith. It says in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's some pretty stout faith. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Just, just matter of fact, just blunt just laying out there. Lord, I wish you'd have been here. Man, if you'd have been here, things would have been better. Things would have been different. You would have made a difference in this situation. And then she follows up that with, 
But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So I, for, for, for my two cents, I, I just see Martha here having some strong faith, some grounded faith. She is grieving, but she is grieving with hope. She is grieving with faith. She is grieving with understanding of who Jesus is and his capabilities. All right. Verse 23, the red words in pray for the power. Jesus told Martha, your brother will rise again. That's what he said. Very simple. To the point. She runs up to him. She's grieving. She's saying, Lord, if you'd have been here, you wouldn't have died. But now I know that if you'll ask anything, the Father will hear you. And I know there's a possibility here. Something might happen. And Jesus looks at her and Jesus speaks words of comfort to her. Martha, I got something for you. Your brother will rise again. Now, how, what do we pray about with that? How do we respond? We're reading the red and we're praying for the power. What does Martha need to understand about this? Well, she needs to understand the power of this statement. She needs to hear this statement. Your brother will rise again. You need to understand the present tense of this. Your brother will rise again. Your brother is about to rise again. I'm about to do something that's going to blow your socks off. And she would have to pray, Lord, help me to, to, to be here, to believe, to accept, and to apply. And so for us in our everyday lives, how this can make a difference in us is we read these red words, we understand these red words, and we pray that we will grow in the ability to understand the personal comfort of the resurrection. Personal, comforting. That's what Jesus is sharing here with her. Just think about all the words of Jesus that comforts us. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He's speaking about the death that we experience. He's speaking about what he's going to do. He's going to prepare a place for us. He's speaking about perhaps his coming back into the world. He is going to return. He is going to come again. The words of Jesus when he said, do not let your heart be troubled. Don't allow it to happen. He says, cheer, be of good cheer, cheer up. I have overcome the world. He says, my sheep will hear my voice. They will know my voice and they will know me and I will know them. He has spoken many, many words of comfort. What do we need to do? We need to pray that we learn to apply those words of comfort. It's just not words on a page. It just doesn't sit here. It leaps off this page. It enters our life and it makes a difference in us. It's just not understanding some theology. It's just not understanding the meaning of these words, but it's making a difference, having that difference make a difference in us and changing the way we approach life. It's to alter our perspective. It's to give us hope. His comfort always builds faith and gives us hope. I'm here with you. When he said the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
teaching people to observe everything I've commanded you. And he says, and I am with you to the end of the age. And actually said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will receive power. You will receive power. And so this word of comfort was personal for Martha and it was immediate for Martha. Now, she hadn't quite there, but she just heard this information. And Martha responds to Jesus by saying, yes, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. That was her understanding. She had been taught the resurrection. She understood the resurrection. And from her Jewish life, she understood that. She believed in that resurrection. She believed that all the Jewish people would be resurrected on the last day. That was an understanding. But Jesus is bringing to her a new understanding. He's helping her to see that, that there is a resurrection, but that resurrection is right before you. The red words of Jesus in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, she hadn't heard that. That's different. That's new. That's a game changer. I am the resurrection and the life. Reading the red words, letting the red words soak in, letting it penetrate deep into our soul so that it impacts us and changes us and alters our perspective. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say he would give the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. He didn't say, I will lead you to experience the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. And that's very different. Many people believe that if they just get good enough, they'll experience good things at death. Many people believe that if they just live a better life than other people, they'll experience good things at death. Well, Jesus didn't say anything like that. He said something that ought to really make a huge difference in us. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the life giver. I'm the life provider. I am. And so what do we need to pray for? Pray for the power to apply this truth. It's not you that matters. It's all him that matters. You can just rest. You can lay it down. You can just surrender. He's the resurrection in the life. Matter of fact, Jesus told us that if you fight real hard to hold on to the things of this world, you'll lose it. But if you lose it now, you will gain everything. Because I'm the resurrection of life. And so in our own effort, in our own power, in our own strength, in our own understanding, in our way, it's always going to be beyond us. We're never going to quite experience his power when we're always trying to earn, we're always trying to deserve, we're always trying to, to obtain it somehow or another. And Jesus just said, no, 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 Martha, it's just not the resurrection on the last day I'm talking about here. I am the resurrection of life. The resurrection is right here in front of you. Jesus interrupted the funeral. 
That's what he did. He interrupted all the funerals he ever went to. If you go through the Gospels, you begin to see that dead people around Jesus don't last long. He does something about it. The poor mom, the widowed mom, was just grieving, leaving the little village of Nain in the valley of Armageddon. Just grieving. And Jesus saw her and had compassion. And he stopped the funeral procession. procession. And he says, hang on a minute. And he healed her child. And he says, get up out of there and walk away. Jesus says, I am the resurrection in the life. I am the resurrection in the life. And then he says in verse 26, now you can't understand verse 26 until you understand verse 25. And so begin at verse 25. Begin at verse 23. Your brother will rise again. There is a resurrection. And then verse 24, how does that res- 25, how does that resurrection work? Well, it works through Jesus Christ because he's the resurrection and the life. Now look at verse 26. Everyone, everyone, that's important to understand. His words are important. Reading the red, praying for the power. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Now we read that and then we go to a funeral and we grieve death. Have you noticed we do that? And Jesus says, everyone who lives in me, everyone who abides in me, everyone that follows me, everyone that obeys me, that's the idea of living in me. And so in, in, in our way of understanding, this is this. Everyone that's placed their faith and trust in me, and there are signs of salvation. There's evidence of salvation. They just didn't go through the motions. They just didn't become religious. I mean, they really were born again. And they demonstrated they were born again by living in me. And so there's a little definition of what it means to believe for our salvation. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Believers don't die. Now, wait a minute. The words we use at someone's passing, I am sorry for your loss. We even read that up here in verse 20 with Mary and and, and Martha. The people are consoling Martha and Mary in their loss. I'm going to pay my last goodbye. I'm going to say my last goodbye. I'm going to pay my final respect. Hmm. Now, for an unbeliever, okay, all right, we're not addressing that. But it says here, everyone who believes for the believer, and if Jesus said the believer never, ever dies, that changes how we view a funeral. It ought to change how we view the funeral. At a funeral, we're saying goodbye to a body, and that body's done. It's no more. The body really does die. 
It's not made for eternity. This body that we have, what we're seeing now, what we're, we're feeling and touching right here, this body that we have right now, it doesn't make it past this world. But we do. And we never die. And the moment this body gives up, we continue to live. We don't even miss a beat. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. He wasn't dead yet. His body hadn't died yet. He says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so Jesus tells us here that we don't die, that Lazarus didn't really die. He just transitioned. Now, I don't understand, I've thought about this week, how this worked. Did his soul go to be up there with the Father? And, and Jesus says, I'm about to do something, send the soul back. You know, there had to be some moving and, and going there, right? But he rose Lazarus from the grave to show the disciples and for our benefit so we could know that he is the only one that conquers death. And so we've got that. Believers never ever die. Pray for the power to believe, to live life understanding that believers never ever die. We grieve, but we don't grieve like those without hope. We grieve the temporary time that we're going to have that we're going to miss our loved one. Sure we do. We grieve that. But it ought to change that grief. And that grief should be seasoned with more hope than loss. More victory than defeat. Because the believer never ever dies. I shared with many of you, I'm sure a time or two, the interesting time we had with my dad's dying when his body died. See, we can't even, we said we got to change the wording and we can't even change it. It's so ingrained in us. And when it was obvious, the doctor said, he's just not going to make it today. This is the day. And I just looked at my mother and I says, mom, we got to get him home. Let's get him home before he dies. And she agreed. She said, absolutely, that's what he would want. So it took a while to get the paperwork done, to do all those legal things. And, and we finally got it done, and they got an ambulance up there. And, and so I said, I'm going to leave now, and I'm going to rush home and get the door, get the place open for the, the ambulance to be able to bring him in. And so pull in the house, and it wasn't very few minutes later, here comes the ambulance. And I go out there to the to the ambulance, and most important on my mind, the only thing on my mind is, man, I, Lord, I sure hope he's still alive. I, I sure hope his body's still working, you know, because he wanted to be home. He wanted to be home. And so I helped him get him out of the ambulance, and I said to the ambulance guy, I said, is he still alive? Because, man, he was in bad shape at that point. And the guy said, yeah, he's, he's still breathing. He's still alive. I said, good. And I was, oh, yeah, I can see him breathing. And so they had a real narrow door. And so I squeezed in and we lifted him up the, the little uh, step up into the house. And, and it's, a, it's a small house and they're trying to navigate a, a, a pretty good turn in the hallway. 
and, and they're trying to sort it out. And I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, he was alive out there outside that door. The guy said, yeah. I said, somewhere between that step and this inside of this doorway, he passed. He died. And the guy goes, he gets his stethoscope out, listens, and sure enough. And that's when he died. I said, he was alive there because we checked, and he was no longer here. His body was dead here. And they said, yeah. And, and I just marvel at that, that for whatever reason, I don't know how that happened or why that happened. Did he understand where he was? Did he just give up the ghost at that point? Did he just surrender at that point? Did the Lord take care of that? But the man made it inside the house only for a second. Now, we had an interesting deal because he transitioned from the hospital's care and the ambulance is nobody's care. And we hadn't quite transitioned to hospice care. And so we were investigated for killing my dad, <laughs> which is really crazy. You know, we're sitting in there with him laying out there in the uh, living room on the on the cot that I was sleeping on. And and uh, uh, the, the investigators are there and the police are there, four or five policemen and. And the, the JP had to come and all this stuff. And I just hear my dad laughing. <laughs> and I hear him say, as clear as a bell, son, what you have here is a lack of walking around sense. <laughs> but now, somehow or another, between that front porch and in that hallway, he transitioned. Because the scripture says, believers never die. Believers never die. Read the red and pray for the power. Pray for the ability to understand, to believe in, to trust, to accept that believers never die. The body does. The body wears out. The body gets old. The body gets sick. The body doesn't live on. But the believer does. Lives on. And after Jesus said to Martha, the believer never dies, he says to her, he asks her, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? Now, remember, Martha is saying, Lord, if you'd have been here, he hadn't died. But now that you're here, man, you're, I know that, that you're special in God's eyes. And something may happen to you that says, your brother will rise again. I am the resurrection of life. Everyone who believes, everyone that lives in me will never, ever die. Now, those words don't mean anything Unless belief happens because of those words. And Jesus speaks to her. Jesus asks her this question, a diagnostic question, isn't it? Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe? That those who believe in him, those who live in him, 
They will never, ever die. What a difference that would make in life. What a difference that would make if we could believe that and act on it and apply it to experience the power of God over death. Do you believe that? Lord, help us to just not hear the words, read the words, but to believe the words and allow those words to impact us, to penetrate us, to change us, to alter us. Lord, may it not just be a moral code. May the life with you just not be a set of rules. May it be this life, this life that Jesus came and gave and offers to us today. A life that's beyond this world, a life that's beyond this life, a life that conquers death and gives us hope and victory over death. Lord, help us to believe. 